Never mind how many injuries a team would deal with in a regular non-COVID season in the NHL, keeping track of who is available and playing on any given night is probably the biggest thing affecting the results of this early season, as well as day-of-game postponements. That was more noteworthy than the games actually played this week were result-wise. We'll talk about both and a lot more this week. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week, a wrap of a last week's games and analysis for the week ahead for the eight teams that will make up the Central Division in the 21-22 season. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. Monday, February 1st, as this is recorded after all except one of the games was played for this week's schedule. St. Louis was the only team to win all their games this week, but as we go through team by team, you will see that playing That Don't Impress Me Much by Shania Twain on repeat would make for good background music. Also, as I said in the intro, the injury list now exasperated by the additional CPRA, COVID protocol-related absences, is affecting all the teams. Quite honestly, it is fair to say that every team is missing key guys and a long list of them that is actually an even playing ice as far as the rosters for all the teams. Simply, injuries are not an excuse for a team not winning or losing. Everyone is affected by it to be sure, and we're going to talk about that a lot in the podcast. It does show what NHL teams in the division have better caliber organizational depth before we get into the divisional coverage i also have to rant about the relevance of the individual nhl awards being given out this year for those of you that know me maybe listen to the podcast for a while you know that i'm not really a big fan of the individual season awards in fact the best year to have actually watched the award show itself was when the nhl included the vegas expansion draft that made it of more interest Hockey is such a team sport that looking at the individual award winners last year also shows it didn't translate to winning in the playoffs or the Stanley Cup. I kind of put a little value on who wins them anyways. Well, for example, deserving award winners take Edmonton's Leon Dreisaitl, won the Hart Trophy, finishing ahead of his teammate Connor McDavid in points, 1-2 and two in the NHL, and Nashville's Roman Yossi won the Norris for best defenseman, while Winnipeg's goalie Connor Hellebuck won his first Vesna for best goalie. Not one of them, Edmonton, Nashville, and Winnipeg, as teams made it out of the play-in playoff round last year. Pretty sure those players would trade their award hardware for a deep team playoff run. The statistical regular season successes are noticed even without the awards. Quite honestly, the highest scoring defenseman wins the Norris now. It's not even who the best two-way defenseman is. In this 56-game shortened season, there is one good thing that I can take heart in. 
there isn't a pointless all-star game being played. That makes me happy. However, the all-interdivisional gameplay also makes me wonder why on earth the league would give out the the end-of-the-year awards at all. How on earth playing seven teams while not playing the other 24 can you determine who the positionally best player is or the MPP overall is? What I've gleaned from this early start to the season is I think someone from the North Division wins a scoring race because the goaltending on several North Division teams besides Winnipeg and Montreal is the weakest compared to the rest of the league. I don't think someone will win it from the West Division when only San Jose, for example, has below average goaltending. What would have made for a nice silver lining would have decided to have four nominees for the awards in each category, one for each of the divisions per the award. That way, the nomination itself would have indicated an outstanding player in each of the divisions for the positions, as well as, for example, for Coach of the Year, the Jack Adams of each division, and who won after that would be as subjective as anything would be, but you would have at least acknowledged by division who was deserving of the award at least. And if the league won't at least have the common sense to have the nominees selected for each division, the relevance, as subjective as it will be with the interdivisional play as it is now, will all but have zero significance. No one, even people who like these individual awards, is going to like the outcome. Most are going to think their star player was slighted because who really will know the most deserving players at the year end with this divisional play. Hopefully the Seattle expansion draft is included with the NHL awards this year, so the awards themselves are watchable, like when Vegas joined, so there is a reason to watch them at all. However, the one nominee per division for each of the individual awards would have been a great thing to do this year because of the divisional play. And I think there's still time to get the NHL to do this. We really need to convince them that would be something worth doing. Who wins after that is irrelevant, especially this year. Every week, Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week, breaks down the teams into the three divisions they play this one year in before we get the band all back together next season. We start with the West Division as they have four teams we cover. The new Central with three teams will fall from there, and we always finish with the lone team playing this year in the North Division. We'll take a look at the action from the teams this week right after this. Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months, now through December 2nd. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Sign up today and find out why nothing beats a win at the king of sportsbooks. Download the 
BetMGM app or go to BetMGM.com and enter code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. We start with the West Division this week. St. Louis put together a three-game win streak, so we begin with them and the highly anticipated two-game series versus Vegas. They only played one game against former captain Alex Petrangelo. St. Louis this week, three wins, no losses, no overtime losses. Overall, 6-2-1, nine games played, 13 points. That has them first now in the West Division. 32 goals for, 29 goals against, a plus-three goal differential. The games of the week turned into a game of the week as St. Louis and Vegas only played one of the two scheduled. Tuesday, a 5-4 shootout win for St. Louis at Vegas. Vegas is Alex Petrangelo's first game versus his old team. 3-17 in Vegas scores on an odd man rush on St. Louis goaltender Jordan Binnington. St. Louis ties it less than a minute later. David Perron gets his first of two goals in a row, finishes a feed created off the forecheck by Ryan O'Reilly. Four minutes later, Perron skates into the Vegas zone and wires home a power play goal. Vegas took a too-many-men penalty. The coaching staff was all off due to an abundance of caution regarding COVID-19. Vegas GM Kelly McCrimmon had to take over the coaching duties assisted from the team's AHL affiliate. Midway through the first, St. Louis creates a turnover upon zone entry, and Jaden Schwartz scores from the slot. 3-1 St. Louis after one. In the second, Vegas forecheck generates a goal less than two minutes in. Vegas hits the post for the third time in the game. St. Louis goes the other way. Jordan Cairo gets inside on Petro, drives to the net, and puts it roof glove side. Vegas captain Mark Stone makes an open ice away from the play. Blindside hit on Tyler Bozak. Bozak had to leave the game. Mark Stone deserves a multi-game suspension for that dirty blindside play. He deserved more than the two-minute penalty. And after Stone's penalty ended, Justin Falk of St. Louis, of course, challenged Mark Stone to fight to answer for the illegal nasty hit. In the third, midway through, Vegas converted a five-on-three power play and tied the game six minutes later with Max Pacioretty completing a hat trick after the team finished a five-touch give-and-go play. Game tied at four after three. Overtime required action-packed, included another post by Vegas, but the game needed a shootout to decide a winner. St. Louis had Perron score, Vegas had Shea Theodore, and St. Louis's third shooter, Braden Shen, ended up netting the winner. Bennington was excellent for St. Louis in that. Four goals against with 42 saves, as Vegas had a 46-25 shot advantage in the contest. St. Louis 1 for 5, Vegas 1 for 6 on the power play. 
Thursday at Vegas. That game was canceled after Vegas coaches, three of them, and right-hand defenseman Alex Petriangelo had confirmed positive COVID tests. No word on when this game will be rescheduled by the league. Vegas also has had some postponed games versus San Jose at least for next week to start as well. Saturday 6-1 win at Anaheim. 20 seconds in, Jordan Cairo gets St. Louis on the board with a high-glove goal off a big rebound from Anaheim goalie John Gibson. 39 seconds later, Zach Sanford drives to the net and gets his own rebound to score. 206 mark. Cairo goes low glove side on a breakaway for his second. 3-0 St. Louis. Gibson is pulled by Anaheim. Three goals against on six shots. Two minutes, six seconds of play. Goalie Ryan Miller enters the game. Four and a half in Anaheim's Ryan Getzlaff fights St. Louis's Kyle Clifford to try and spark his team's effort. Miller stops Cairo alone net front on a point-blank shot as he tries to complete his hat-trick. With 3-1 left in the first, Anaheim whacks home a loose puck in the paint to make it 3-1 after one. David Perron at 7.30 gets the only goal of the second, posting in glove side from the high slot. 4-1 St. Louis after two. 2.59 in the third, Kyle Clifford scores on a wrister from the top circle for another St. Louis goal. One Miller should have had, and at 5.17 as the power play for St. Louis was near ending, defenseman Vince Dunn throws a wrister through a screen by Robert Thomas for a power play goal. 6-1 St. Louis final. St. Louis outshot Anaheim 30-24, went one for two on the power play. Anaheim was 0 for 3. St. Louis goalie Jordan Bennington one goal against 23 saves for his fifth win. Anaheim forward David Backus played his first game this year. Sunday 4-1 win at Anaheim. St. Louis backup Billy Huso gets the start in goal. A Sammy Blay neutral zone penalty leads to an Anaheim power play goal at 4.54 over Huso's pad and under his blocker from the top circle. Huso would make three quality saves off defensive zone turnovers by St. Louis in the frame. one nothing Anaheim after one. Midway through the second, St. Louis ties game as Braden Shen gets inside position to deflects a, a pass. With 6.16 left, Billy Huso makes a big save after a giveaway, creating a 2-on-0. Robert Thomas off the forecheck finds Sammy Play off Mike Hoffman's skate as he centers a pass. Sammy Blay gets the goal from the top of the slot through traffic. 2-1 St. Louis after two. Anaheim, a lead-in shot, 13-17 after two. 107 in the third, Braden Shen gets his second with a power play goal. Five-hole on Anaheim goalie John Gibson after the four-check created by David Perron. Anaheim hit the post, yet one 10 later, after Gibson made a save on a two-on-one, Colton Pranko blasts his first of the season by Gibson, who is screened by a pair of his own ducks. Ivan Barbashid had the best chance after that to add to the score, but it remained St. Louis 4-1 in the win. Anaheim 26-23 shot advantage. Billy Huso wins his first NHL game in net, one goal against 25 saves. Anaheim Goalie Gibson allowed four goals against both teams, went one for two on the power play. This week's analysis for St. Louis. You would think we would be downright gushing over St. Louis after the overtime win versus Vegas and the two road game sweep of Anaheim and that St. Louis sits atop the West Division now. From just looking at the standings perspective, yes, St. Louis looks good. They picked up the wins and the points. 
This team still has a lot to work on if they want to stay in first spot. St. Louis had a 4-2 lead going into the third versus Vegas and put forth a four-shot effort while allowing two goals that got Vegas to take the game to overtime. Sure, they won in a shootout, but they let Vegas off the hook and gave the Knights a point in the standings that a shutdown effort would have prevented. They were badly outshot in the shootout win. As for the convincing wins on Anaheim, put little stock into them. Anaheim is terrible. If you can get three goals on them, you're going to win. Yes, they chased Anaheim goalie John Gibson in a few seconds and over two minutes and cruised to a win Friday. They always seem to play their best in the first game of these two-game sets. The second game versus Vegas didn't happen, and Sunday versus Anaheim, they were outshot and down a goal early. Only that Anaheim can't generate offense on D-zone gifts all game, and Billy Huso bailing the Blues out did they win 4-1. It's all the bad habits we see that this team can't make against the Vegas, Colorado, and Minnesota teams that will make them pay for them. St. Louis has a lot to clean up with their play, yet we think they have another week ahead where, at least at the beginning of the week, they'll probably get points even if they don't clean it up. The Blues are 10th in goals scored and improved from 27th to 23rd in goals against. A year ago, they were in top five in both those metrics during the regular season. The power play is now ranked 22nd. Another category, St. Louis was in the top five in last season, and the penalty kill, while improved to 70.7%, is still ranked 26th, even with the better kill rate this week. Those special teams are going to cost St. Louis against better teams. The top six offensively is going for St. Louis now, and they are getting some bottom six scoring as well. They are not playing a dump and chase game. As St. Louis analyst Darren Peng pointed out Sunday, they're playing more of a puck possession game. This works for the top six guys, but the bottom half of the St. Louis offense is actually better suited to dump and chase. They generate more goals off pressure down low, and the bottom six doesn't have the speed and skill to play that puck possession style. Defensively, we saw the top four pairs adjusted with Justin Falk playing with Tori Krug, while Colton Perenko played with Marco Scandella. There definitely is puck-carrying ability from the back end, but the puck-control game D-Zone Xs have been a nightmare. That was more simplified a year ago. As for the pairs, we like Pareko Krug, Scandella, Falk, instead of what we saw, for more balance on the defensive side. Krug and Falk as a pair is going to be a defensive zone liability. But only probably versus the better teams in the division. They got away with it versus Anaheim. But that's more about Anaheim than St. Louis. Huso had to earn his first victory. For our useless St. Louis factoid this week, during Tuesday St. Louis game versus Vegas, the teams played four on four five minutes into the third after each team took over the glass delay of game penalties. Can't remember when teams did that back to back. Thumbs up, Jordan Cairo is tied for the team lead in points with 10 and has five goals so far this season. He is doing it in getting bottom six minutes. 13 minutes, 12 seconds is his average time on ice per game this season. Thumbs down, the defensive zone turnovers and exits are worrisome. 
only stellar goaltending and scoring four-plus goals a game is masking it, costing St. Louis in the win column for now. In additional news, defenseman Vince Dunn was a healthy scratch versus Vegas Tuesday. TSN reported the Blues had trade conversations regarding Dunn, at minimal, at least to gauge the market value in dealing him. He followed that up by scoring a goal in the next game, the 6-1 win versus Anaheim. Forward Tyler Bozak is listed as day-to-day with an upper body injury after the blind side cheap hit by Mark Stone in the Vegas game, so he did not play against Anaheim. Robert Bertuzzo is also still listed on injured reserve. Up next, four games for St. Louis beginning Tuesday and Thursday. All the games are at home. Arizona is up first, then Saturday and Sunday, the back-to-back with Colorado A key set of games versus Colorado. Four games at home this week. Everything we spoke of as far as concerns probably won't be properly exploited by Arizona. So we expect the Blues to win the first set at home. We still hope that St. Louis starts cleaning up the mistakes in those games as the real test is the weekend back-to-back with Colorado, which will be the third and fourth games these teams play this year. And will, at the end of that series, account for half the games they play against each other. A team that will feast on them, those mistakes, Colorado would. Let's talk about who the Blues face and turn to look at Colorado now. Firstly, we look at the game summaries from the more recent weekend games between Colorado and Minnesota, then on how they did respectively earlier in the week. Saturday, 5-1 Colorado win at Minnesota. 3-0-2 in off the cycle. Colorado's Logan O'Connor playing his first game this year. Point shot goes off of Minnesota goalie Kapokakinen's stick, which was on the ice, that he lost earlier during play for Colorado to open the scoring. 649 Minnesota defenseman Matt Dumba ties it, pinching down the wall and going short side shelf on Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer. 16 seconds left in the first. Colorado gets a power play goal. Brandon Sod's pass from behind the goal line goes to Jonas Donskoy net front and in. 2-1 Colorado after one. In the second, 3-0-7, a clean Colorado zone entry leads to a Miko Rantanen goal. High glove just under the crossbar and in. Carson Soucy takes a four-minute double minor for cross-checking with about that much time left in the second. Minnesota has a huge penalty kill and kills all that four minutes off. 3-1 Colorado after two. 12-17 of the third, Colorado gets an odd man rush. Brandon Son hits the iron, but he then parks himself net side. Nathan McKinnon finds him and gets the seam pass to Sod for a one-timer goal. Matt Dumba falls awkward later when he clips skates with a teammate in his own zone. He did not return. 14-55, JT Confer scores a power play goal, sliding home a cross-seam pass from Andre Burakowski. Colorado outshot Minnesota 33-20. Colorado 2-for-7, Minnesota 0-for-2 on the power play. Minnesota 21-5 to hits in the game, but we'll have more on that stat later. Colorado's Grubauer, one goal against 19 saves for the win. Minnesota... Kakinen, five goals against, 28 saves for the loss. Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot dressed as the backup goaltender. Colorado defenseman Devin Taves did not play 
Sunday 4-3 Minnesota overtime win versus Colorado in the first 4-33 in Jonas Donskoy gets positioning between Minnesota's deep pair, gets a goal off transition high glove from the slot on Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot in his return start from IR. Later, a huge Talbot glove save, robbing Nathan McKinnon in close. Minnesota 2-on-1, Jordan Greenway slides in a loose puck neck front with just under four minutes left in the first 1-1 tie after one. 128 into the second, Victor Ras gives Minnesota lead, put away cross-ice pass, backdoor on goalie Hunter Miska. 331 in Kale McCarr eludes Jordan Greenway and scores on a high slot wrister with 526 left in the second. Miska makes a stellar stop on a pinching Minnesota D. Jared Spurgeon. Nathan McKinnon did not come out for Colorado to play the third. Team indicated it was lower body injury. 709 Colorado takes the lead again on his own entry. Assad goes bar down over Talbot's shoulder. 1234 Minnesota off the cycle. Tie the game. Victor Rask with his second of the night from the high slot after a block shot attempt. 3-3 after 3. It would take all of 18 seconds of OT for Jonas Brodine's one-time slop shot to beat Miska from the top circle for the Minnesota 4-3 overtime win. Minnesota outshot Colorado 33-25. No power play goals for either team. Minnesota 0-3. Colorado 0-4. Minnesota's Cam Talbot, 3 goals against, 22 saves in the win. Colorado's Hunter Miska, 4 goals against, 29 saves, taking the overtime loss. Minnesota forward Marcus Foligno and D. Matt Dumba did not play. For Gerald Mayhew, Kyle Rao, and Luke Johnson played. Minnesota went back to a 12-forward 6-D set. Also should mention Colorado defenseman Eric Johnson did not play either of the games versus Minnesota. Colorado this week went 3-0-1 in their four games. Overall, 6-3-1 mark. 10 games played, 13 points for second. Again, St. Louis has the same point total, having played one last game. 36 goals for 29 goals against. That puts them at a plus 13 goal differential, which as of Monday morning was the best goal differential in the National Hockey League league-wide. Colorado started their week winning two at home versus San Jose. Here's a summary of that set of two games. Tuesday, 7-3 win versus San Jose. Midway through the first, San Jose goal batted out of the air and in a net side. Under four minutes left, Colorado cycle. Eric Johnson returning to the Avs lineups. Point blast goes off of Jonas Donskoy and in. 46 seconds later, another Colorado goal off a clean zone entry finished by Brandon Saad with a backhand shot as he parks himself net front. With 28 seconds left in the first, a Colorado power play goal by Miko Rantanen extends his goal streak to six games on a one-timer from the dot, dished to him by Nathan McKinnon from the slot. 3-1 Colorado after one. A minute 32 into the second, a shark overskates the puck, leaving San Jose zone. Valerie Nishnushkin steals for a breakaway and tucks it in five-hole shorthanded. Just over four minutes later on a delayed San Jose penalty, 
the avalanche enter the San Jose zone clean. Samuel Gerard activates and his arister goes between San Jose goalie Martin Jones blocker and pad. That ends Jones night five goals against as Devin Dumnik is put in. San Jose responds to get a goal on a two-on-one backhand that gets past Philip Grubauer. With 6 minutes 30 to go, Dubnik is way out of position, making a stop. Devin Taves takes advantage, has a wide open net to a blast a goal into. A minute and a half later, Saad gets his second of the night, finishing off an odd man rush with a wrister glove side from the slot. 7-2 Colorado after two. In the third, a three-on-two San Jose redirects in a shot for a goal. San Jose finishes the game on a five-on-three advantage but couldn't score. 7-3 Colorado final. Colorado outshot San Jose 42-30. Grubauer three goals against with 27 saves for his fourth win. Colorado one for five. San Jose zero for five on the power play. Colorado also had the shorthanded goal in the game. Left winger Kiefer Sherwood was in the lineup for his first game for Colorado. Matt Kelvert did not play. Thursday, 3-0 win versus San Jose in the first. Belmare rings iron on a breakaway. Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer looked sharp and net early on. Midway through San Jose goalie Devin Dumnick almost fooled by a Colorado point shot. Nathan McKinnon also hit a post. 350 left on a San Jose power play. Belmar has knee-on-knee contact in the neutral zone and immediately goes down. He left the game and did not return. Looked like a serious lower body injury. Definitely was knee-on-knee contact to Belmar. Colorado gets into penalty troubles, but the PK holds it scoreless through one. In the second, Colorado has five-on-five offensive zone pressure and two more posts. The second, a Bowen Byram shot that hits the iron. San Jose gets into penalty trouble, yet no score through two. In the third, Colorado begins on the power play. Another post and another crossbar for the Avs. San Jose was without a shot midway through the third, going back to the second period. 9.55 in the third, Colorado scores off the cycle net front rebound. Nazem Kadri gives Colorado the lead short side glove on Dubnik. Less than two minutes later, three-on-two rush was finished by Andre Burakovsky. He tips it up top at the top of the paint, 2-0 Colorado. A late San Jose penalty with under five minutes to go in the third leads to a Colorado power play goal with 106 left in the third. Off a Colorado faceoff win, a point shot is tipped by Kadri for his second goal of the game. Kadri factors in the Avs scoring in all of the goals as he also had an assist on Burakovsky's marker. Philip Grubauer stops 21 San Jose shots for his second shutout of the season. Colorado has 38 shots in the win. Colorado 1 for 4, San Jose 0 for 4 on the power play in Colorado's 3-0 win. Colorado's analysis this week, 3-0-1 record, puts Colorado into the race for top spot in the West Division, where we anticipated they would be. There are two big reasons for the uptick with the Avs this week. They are scoring goals. As we said, they now lead the league in goal differential entering Monday night's games tonight. 3.6 goals per game is fifth best in the league. The power play ranks in the top 10, although the second unit did miss defenseman Devin Taves, to be sure. Miko Rantanen with seven goals leads away, but the second line is also now contributing. Brandon Sad is five. 
Nazem Kadri three goals. Before Devin Taves went down to injury, both power play units were putting up offense at an equal rate as well for Colorado. That unit, the second unit, still looks dangerous even in his absence. They are also getting stellar goaltending from starter Philip Grubauer, 6-2-0 now, with a 1.75 goals against average and a .916 save percentage. Factoring in Miska's backup starts, the team ranks 5th league-wide in goals against at 2.3 per game. The team is also putting up those stellar goals against metrics while employing a very young D-group. Gone is veteran Ian Cole. The other vets are currently injured. Of the currently playing defensemen from Sunday night, Ryan Graves at 25 was technically the oldest of the top four in the lineup. Kale McCarr's 22, rookie Boehm Byram's 19, Sam Gerrard's 22, as is Connor Timmins. They did dress 27-year-old Jacob McDonald, but he did play the least minutes on the bottom pairing at just over 10 minutes Sunday. That's really young D-group. The other specialty team category is that Colorado is first on the penalty kill at a 91.7% success rate. About the only growing concern is the injury list is getting long. However, the team will have to win regardless, and honestly, all teams are dealing with it, so it completely balances out as the games are being played. It's not an excuse for any team to use for not winning right now. That said, Minnesota found a way to beat them on Sunday. Good. They picked up the loser point. A win would have put them in first, not second for Colorado. That's the difference right now from being first in the division. It's that close. Vegas has games in hand to make up as well, and Minnesota is just a point behind. The useless factoid, watching the broadcast on Saturday on altitude between Minnesota and Colorado, the broadcast team didn't mention Minnesota forward Kevin Fiala's three-game suspension and him not playing against the Avalanche team. We definitely were told defenseman Eric Johnson was missing from the Colorado lineup, also notable, but the broadcast team could do a better job at balanced coverage, especially on the top-end players missing from the opposing team's lineup. By the way, I watched the Minnesota broadcast Sunday. They were quick to inform viewers Colorado's Nathan McKinnon was missing before the third period started. That's how it always should be in the coverage of both teams, regardless of what city is watching. To me, it's homerism at its worst. Thumbs up to Goalie Philip Grubauer, he has been stellar. We already gave his stat line, and we also spoke about the young D group playing in front of him right now. The combination of the two is exceptional. Consider backup Hunter Miska in his two games played has a 3.56 goals against average in front of the same D group that Grubauer has a 1.75 goals against average if you want to put some perspective on how stellar Grubauer has been. Thumbs down. We called out Nazem Kadri last week, and he was great this week. So, especially with the injuries, one bottom six Colorado forward we'd like to see more from is Tyson Jost. He has played every game for the Avs so far and has one assist. Logan O'Connor has a goal in two games played now. With Matt Calvert and Pierre-Edouard Balmer out, Jost needs to contribute more. In additional news on defense, both top four defensemen, 
and the team's two veterans of that group, Eric Johnson and Devin Taves, are listed as day-to-day. Add bottom six forwards, we just mentioned Calvert, Belmare, and now Nathan McKinnon day-to-day. That would make for a decent line not available if they don't return this week. Up next, four games for Colorado, Tuesday and Thursday versus Minnesota in Colorado. Then they are on the road for two against St. Louis back-to-back Saturday and Sunday. All eyes will be on Colorado. Minnesota will come out and compete and battle with the injuries they likewise are dealing with and are capable of winning. St. Louis won't be an easy out either, regardless of who is available. It's a tough week of game against teams that we expect make the West Division playoffs. I would say realistically, Colorado having a split would not surprise us. If they win more, that would be a great week all in all. Colorado got three of four points versus Minnesota. Minnesota did get two of four points. Let's talk about Minnesota now. This week, they were 2-2 two and two just like last week. Overall, that makes them 6-4-0. 10 games played, 12 points, third, 29 goals for, 28 goals against for a goal differential of just plus one. Minnesota starts the week with a split versus L.A. at home. Here's the summary. Tuesday, 2-1 loss versus L.A. Nico Sturm returns to the Minnesota lineup. Scoreless first where L.A. outshot Minnesota 12-6. Minnesota kills off three penalties in the period, including four-minute high-sticking penalty to defenseman Carson Soucy. In the second, 4-0-2 in L.A. gets a goal off a zone entry. Short side high over Minnesota goalie Capo Kakinen. Minnesota's Marcus Foligno hits the post with under five remaining in the second one nothing LA after two a Minnesota nine seconds into the third off the cycle goal Joel Erickson x second effort after his initial wraparound attempt and he jams the puck past LA goalie Cal Peterson to tie the game a second under four minutes later Carl Grunstrom takes it off the wall to the slot and a wrister goes in high glove through a defender's screen on Kakinen for what turns out to be the game-winning goal for L.A. Minnesota outshot L.A. 27-9 in the final two periods, 33-21 Minnesota for the game in shots. Kakinen two goals against, 19 saves in the loss for Minnesota. Both teams 0-3 on the power play. Thursday, 5-3 win versus L.A. Minnesota coach Dean Evison shuffled the forward lines to spark offense prior to the game, a move that worked. A planned fight off the opening draw, Minnesota's Marcus Foligno fights L.A.'s McDermott, a carryover from the team's first game. Close to three minutes in, Minnesota can't get a shot off on a four-on-one chance. 3.33, Minnesota does score. Marcus Johansson's wrist shot gets through traffic between the blocker pad of L.A. goalie Jonathan Quick. Minnesota goalie Capo Kakinen playing the puck gets caught out of his net. L.A. misses the net. Then Kevin Fiala makes a block shot and goes the other way on a breakaway. His forehand is lifted in blocker side. 2-0 Minnesota. 12.55 in the frame. Minnesota adds to the lead off a cycle pressure. Kirill Kaprizov gets a goal. Again lifted to Quick's blocker side. 3-0 Minnesota after one. In the second, after a great pad stop on an L.A. power play by Kakinen, L.A. gets a power play goal as a shot goes off bodies in front and in. A Kevin Fiala hit from behind on L.A.'s Arroy 
gets him a five-minute major and a game ejection. Three and a half into that penalty, L.A. from the slot scores a power play goal. After Nick Bukestad took a face-off violation penalty, he cleans up the garbage net front with 122 left after serving that penalty in the second to make it a 4-2 Minnesota lead after two. On a Minnesota power play, L.A.'s Walker takes a howitzer point shot by Matt Dumba off his face in the third period. Play stops immediately as he exits the game. Not intentional by Dumba, but not fun to watch either. 444, Ian Joel Erickson keeps on a two-on-one. His shot goes through quick and is laying in the paint. That's where Eck is able to tap in the goal. After an L.A. power play on a Matt Dumba penalty had expired, L.A. continued to pressure, and that led to an even-strength goal at 941, and that would be as close as L.A. would get. 5-3 Minnesota win. L.A. outshot Minnesota 35-28 with a 14-6 shot advantage in the pushback third. Kakinen gets his third win of the year, making 32 saves, three goals against. Minnesota 0-4, L.A. 2-7 on the power play. This week's Minnesota analysis. Minnesota is where we expected them to be, actually sitting third, not fourth in the West Division, although Vegas does have to make up games. We also appreciate LA would be the toughest out of the Cali-based West Division teams, so we aren't going to be too critical of the split versus LA. The other reason is in coming back, forcing overtime and winning Sunday, Minnesota found a way to pick up two valuable points against Colorado, who everyone expects finishes ahead of them in the standings. It's to say two wins over LA and two losses to Colorado would have Minnesota at the same point total. Picking up points versus Colorado is almost more important than against LA. However, we do feel that eight game played against LA that series Minnesota needs to have an advantage in points when in all the games are played to ensure that they are playoff bound while Capo Kakinen wasn't lights out good this week having to carry the ball with Minnesota starter Cam Talbot sidelined till Sunday he did give Minnesota the chance to win every game his 2.87 goals against average and .907 save percentage are respectable compared to Talbot's 2.48 goals against average and .916 save percentage. We realize that Talbot has been the better of the two, but the drop-off with Kakinen playing wasn't huge. He definitely had a few goals he would like to have back, but he was consistent for the most part every game. And considering most people anticipated it would be him after Talbot and Staylock, to start the season, nobody was anticipating that he would have to carry the ball, especially this early on in the season. The three-game suspension to forward Kevin Fiala, one of the team's most dynamic offensive threats, couldn't have come at a worse time. It's because he had to serve it in three of the four games Minnesota plays Colorado. Two of them, of course, already played now. This team already had to score by committee and without Matt Zuccarello since the season started. So, Fiala's suspension made goal scoring even more of a challenge against a tough opponent. Still, they found a way on Sunday, but the scoring by committee needs to continue. We also were happy to see the 12-forward 6-D lineup set up. Minnesota is best when they run four lines. The Wild are 15th in goals against, and a bright spot, the PK is ranked 6th in the league. 
At 5.1% success rate going into Monday night's NHL games, Minnesota is 31st on the power play league-wide. Seattle doesn't start play until next year, so yes, that is worst in the NHL. That needs to improve. Two standouts offensively is the team point leader is Jordan Greenway with 10 points now in as many games. And Joel Erickson X leads the team in goals with five and is second in team scoring point wise. We didn't know what line combos coach Dean Evison would come up with after camp. We do like he isn't afraid to adjust them top to bottom to find ways to win even if we have to be looking at a different lineup card as far as the line combinations every night. At least he's got the courage to to make the changes to try and find those goals needed to win. Useless factoid, the team hit totals. By the way, the Minnesota broadcasters did mention this Sunday, and they are correct. We mentioned the 21-5 to hit advantage for Minnesota in Friday's loss to Colorado. If you ever wonder why we don't often mention that metric ever is this. It often, when it is that lopsided for a team, actually represents an inverse correlation to puck possession. While hits are great, a big advantage of them, more often like it did Friday, only indicate that Colorado had way more puck possession than Minnesota did in the loss. The reason, teams carrying the puck aren't hitting. Only the team trying to gain possession is. A lopsided hit advantage means you're the team that doesn't have the puck, and it doesn't really indicate much else. Thumbs up, Victor Rask has three goals on the season. And as I was thinking between Friday and Sunday's game versus Colorado on who it would be nice to see score in Fiala's absence, I was thinking about Rask. He had a pair on Sunday. That continuing would be good for the Wild. Thumbs down, Carson Soucy's penalty minutes at 14. That total leads all Minnesota defensemen, and it's by a long shot. While the PK is the better special team metric right now for the Wild, having your bottom pair guys kill penalties is really beneficial to the top 4D group. Soucy can't do that when he is the one that is in the penalty box. Additional news. Forward Marcus Foligno was added to the CPRA list, and day-to-day with undisclosed injuries was Marcus Johansson. Those two regulars missed along with Kevin Fiala, who is suspended Sunday versus Colorado. Fiala has one more game, but can play the final game of the four versus Colorado. Defenseman Matt Dumba is on IR as well, so they will have as many key guys out as potentially Colorado will. 2020 Minnesota Wild top draft pick Marco Rossi has returned. It was reported to his home, Austria, to rest due to COVID complications. The Athletics' Michael Russo reports the 19-year-old won't play in the NHL this season. Up next, four games this week for Minnesota. They are at Colorado Tuesday and Thursday as they play two more against the Avalanche. And then they play back-to-backs at home versus Arizona on Saturday and Sunday. The next man up is such a cliche, and at this rate we could say it for almost all the teams, but especially for the offense of the Wild, this is true. They have an opportunity to grab points in Colorado. Won't be easy, but they must have confidence they can compete after Sunday's overtime win. Then they can definitely grab points against Arizona over the weekend. They have the opportunity to have a better week than they did this week, but they have to score goals to be able to do it. 
That's a nice segue, the weekend matchup versus Arizona, to talk about the Coyotes as we wrap up looking at the West Division this week. Arizona this week went 1-1. One and one. Overall, they are 3-4-1, eight games played, seven points, seventh in the West, 20 goals for, 22 goals against, a goal differential of minus two. Here's a summary of Arizona's two-game split with Anaheim this week. Tuesday, one nothing loss versus Anaheim. Arizona defenseman Jordan Gross played his first game-replacing rookie defenseman Victor Soderstrom for the Coyotes. 10.59 into the game, Anaheim Danton Heinen strips the puck off of Drake Kajula in the Arizona defensive zone. Heinen roofs at high blocker side by Arizona goalie Darcy Kemper, who may have been screened by his own D-man Jacob Chikrin. The goal would turn out to be the game-winning goal. 5.05 left, Lawson Kraus rings the post from the slot. one nothing Anaheim after one. Second was scoreless. Arizona had four high-quality scoring chances, and the third was also scoreless. Arizona outshot Anaheim 31-24, to including dominating the second period 14-2 in shots in the loss. Kemper made 23 saves, allowing one goal against for his fourth regulation loss this year. Anaheim goalie John Gibson gets his second shutout of the season, stopping all 31 Arizona shots. His stellar play is single-handedly responsible for the three wins Anaheim has so far. Arizona was shut out in back-to-back games, having lost to Vegas on Sunday by the same 1-0 score. Thursday, a 3-2 win versus Anaheim. 3-16 into the first, Arizona passes through their own slot in the defensive zone for a turnover. Anaheim fires it home upstairs over Arizona goalie Darcy Kemper for a 1-0 Anaheim lead. A minute and a half left, Clayton Keller's shot goes off Anaheim goalie John Gibson's blocker and hits the post. A two-on-one, Gibson makes a big left pad save on Christian Fisher. Anaheim won nothing after one. In the second, Arizona defenseman Jordan Gross breaks up Anaheim on a two-on-one chance. 7.43 of the period, Arizona with a faceoff win from behind the net. Christian Dvorak throws it to the front of the net. And the puck went off an Anaheim defenseman skating into their own net to tie the game at one. Arizona's Kemper made one big glove save from the slot on Anaheim's only shot of the second. Arizona 12-1 shots in that second period. Connor Garland's pass is tipped into Anaheim net by an Anaheim defenseman to give Arizona the lead less than a minute into the third. Anaheim ties it at 6.57 with their first power play goal of the season. A big rebound is put five hole on Kemper. Anaheim takes two penalties close together for a five on three advantage for Arizona. Out of the box, Anaheim D-man Kevin Shattenkirk was sprung for a breakaway that Kemper stops. With 4.26 left in the third, still on the power play, Phil Kessel passes from net side to Dvorak, and he one-times high glove for the power play game-winning goal for Arizona. 
less than a minute later, Garland has words with Gibson between whistles. Gibson grabs him with his glove hand and tosses Garland down, and a scrum ensues. Both get unsportsmanlike penalties. Arizona outshot Anaheim 34-16. to Kemper two goals against, 14 saves for the win. Arizona was one for five. Anaheim one for two on the power play. Arizona ended up getting a split with Anaheim with the early trend this year. Splits with the Cali teams in the West won't put a team in the top four race. In fact, it will leave Arizona in a cluster with all those teams on the outside looking in come playoff time. It's to say Arizona has to win those eight game sets by more than a few and get some splits in the series versus Vegas, St. Louis, Colorado and Minnesota to be a playoff team this year. Splits against the Cali teams, Anaheim, LA and San Jose won't be good enough. They are must win eight game sets. It's early on, but one thing to look at more than wins or points is a team's regulation losses. Arizona now has four and eight games, as well as one overtime loss to be an under 500 team. Only San Jose, through eight games played, has more regulation losses in the West Division with five, one more than Arizona. If that continues for Arizona, they will finish in the bottom half and out of the playoffs. As good as Darcy Kemper has been in net, and he has been good. The Coyotes are getting out goalied in the team's strongest position. The team is under 500, and Kemper has a 2.43 goals against average, 0.910 save percentage. Those are very good numbers above the league average goaltending numbers. As a team, they are ninth in the league in goals against. This year, early on, it's not translating into wins. The early returns in the West Division suggest the only team that has struggled in net is San Jose. All seven other teams are getting very good goaltending. The deciding factor then on winning and losing is scoring goals in only Anaheim. The team Arizona just had a two-game split with had more difficulties than Arizona in that metric. 2.5 goals per game has Arizona 24th right now overall. The power play is 17th, and the PK is tied for 14th. Remember, in the last couple of years, the penalty kill was a league leader in Arizona. Arizona needs to find ways to score more or they will be with San Jose in the last two spots in the West Division and well out of the playoff picture. And that is accurately where we project them to finish in the standings now. Phil Kessel leads the team with four goals. Christian Dvorak, Nick Schmaltz, and Connor Garland have three each. That's some production from what I consider Arizona's top six with the exception of Clayton Keller, notably absent from that list. He does have two goals. The bottom six has two or three goals total amongst the six players, provided you consider Derek Bazard a bottom six player. They don't have depth at scoring, and best on best, they just aren't good enough to score the most goals, even with great goaltending. What also is something we need to think is the positive of the youth in the lineup. The supposedly tougher to play against guys brought in in the bottom six. Yoan Larson is pointless in minus two. Tyler Pitlick has a goal, but comparatively, so does returning center Barrett Hayton. John Hayton played in one game and was not even noticeable. Drake Kajula, with his three assists, is looking to be the biggest addition point-wise of the offseason moves. Simply, it may come down to San Jose's goaltending being bad enough that they end up in the West Division basement. 
but Arizona looks to be right there with them, and Anaheim, even with better goaltending from the latter two teams. This week's split with Anaheim for us was a confirmation of they are what we thought they are. Line for line, unable to compete with more than half the division, St. Louis, Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota, and L.A., And if you're splitting the series with San Jose and Anaheim, well, those three will be bringing up the basement as the season nears an end. Useless factoid, Coyote's color commentator's big talk after the 1-0 loss to Anaheim was for Arizona to get in the grill of Anaheim goalie John Gibson. Gibson tossed Connor Garland around late in the game, and if Anaheim has one thing as far as its D group, it's size. The broadcasters are guilty of the Homer-like bias to be sure, but when the analysis you are suggesting doesn't work right before your viewers eyes how about letting the viewers know that maybe it wasn't sound advice the skill puck possession abilities of at least half of this team with their smaller forward group size is not built to play dump and chase hockey to suggest that's how the coyotes will win is wishful thinking thumbs up to christian Dvorak's two goal night gave Arizona split against Anaheim. Thumbs down the team game. It seems that whoever Arizona is playing dictates the game play. Arizona needs to find its own team identity. We expected as much. This is what half the old GM roster mixed with a new GM's desire to have a new identity looks like. Lost in the translation game. It's to say The old GM was building a team that probably was meant to look and play more like Chicago and develop like they did when they had their run of three cups. The new GM wants to build a team like St. Louis. The two are not the same, and as one team becomes the other team, it's not going to be pretty. In additional news, Captain Oliver Ekman Larson is still listed as day-to-day lower body. Defenseman Ilya Labushkin is in CPRA and yet to play this season. And you can add Christian Fisher as day-to-day undisclosed. Up next, four games this week for Arizona. They've got a Tuesday and Thursday at St. Louis. And then they continue on the road with back-to-backs in Minnesota Saturday and Sunday. This week, Arizona is going to get a crash course in why the old Pacific Division was more preferable to playing in than the Central Division next season will be. Games versus St. Louis and Minnesota. Much like the week of the games versus Vegas, we will be impressed if Arizona can go 1-3 this week. They just can't match the four-line depth of St. Louis and Minnesota, and both those teams also have quality goaltending. We'll take another break and be back to look at the teams in the new Central and North Division on Central Division Hockey this week. Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months, now through December 2nd. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. How would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can. 
with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com slash holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. This week, I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. Let's look at the teams in the new Central. This week's order, we think, will more mirror where we most often will be talking about the teams, Dallas, then Nashville, and then Chicago. Dallas, with games in hand on both Nashville and Chicago, has more points going into Monday's games. We put Nashville second as they won both versus Chicago, although they needed extra time to do so. Chicago, going into Monday night, had a point more than Nashville, but Nashville has a pair of games in hand on Chicago. Dallas this week went 2-1-1. Overall, they are now 4-1-1. Six games played, nine points, sitting a fourth in the new Central Division. 23 goals for, 14 goals against, a plus-eight goal differential. Dallas Stars week continued undefeated, winning two at home versus Detroit. Here's the summary. Tuesday, 2-1 overtime win versus Detroit. Forward Rope Hintz, lower body day-to-day, joined forward Jamie Benn and Yoel Kiviranta on IR. All were unavailable for this game for Dallas. Mark Pysik signed as a defenseman, has played right wing as well, did play right wing in this game. Additionally, forward Rhett Gardner played his first game, as did defenseman Joel Hanley. In the first, Andrew Cogliano puts a shot just over the crossbar, finding a loose puck in the slot. 11:37, Detroit unrestricted free agent signing Valerie Nemesnikov, who played last year for Colorado, goes backhand five hole on Dallas goaltender Anton Hudobin. After Detroit forced a turnover on a forecheck, one nothing Detroit after one. In the second, just over five minutes in, Justin Dowling draws a Detroit slashing penalty, driving with the puck to the net for a chance. Four seconds into the Dallas power play after a faceoff win, John Klingberg's wrister from the point goes in over Detroit's goalie Thomas Grice, shoulder glove side through traffic. The power play goal ties the game at one through two periods. A scoreless third, but late in the frame, Hudobin has two big saves on a Detroit power play. In overtime, after a good defensive stick in his own end, Dallas defenseman John Klingberg does a toe drag to create separation in the offensive zone. Jason Dickinson pops out from the net front to the high slot. He then gets the pass and his one T after Klingberg's pass goes high glove for the game-winning goal, his first goal of the year. For Dickinson, Dallas 22-21 shots, Hudobin one goal against 20 saves for his third win in three games. Dallas 1-4, for four. Detroit 0-3 for three on the power play. 
Thursday, 7-3 win versus Detroit. Dallas backup goalie Jake Ottinger played his first NHL game. He did play two periods in last season's playoffs in relief in two games prior. Mark Pysik was back on defense. Forward Joel Lesperance played his first game this season. 11:36 of the first. Tanner Carroll gets his first NHL point. On a three-on-one, he dishes to Joel Pavelski, who makes no mistake on a one-timer goal blocker side beating Detroit goalie Jonathan Bernier. Dallas dictated the play 11-5 shot advantage through one. one nothing Dallas. Dallas started the second with two solid penalty kills. 7-56 in the second. Andrew Cagliano gets a goal winning a battle. Net front to score on a the backhand on a play off the cycle and the puck put net front. 11-59 a block shot net front rebound goal for Detroit after a Dallas D-zone turnover. 5.15 left in the second. The puck and a Detroit player go into the net on a Dallas two-on-one. Dennis Gurionov scores unassisted as Jason Dowling drives to the net without the puck. The play is reviewed, but Dowling made no contact. It's a good goal. Shortly after Detroit, goalie Bernier exits at the start of a Detroit power play, which is probably related to the contact with his own player on the Gurionov goal. Goalie Thomas Grice finishes in net for Detroit. 4-18 in the third. Jamie Alessias, low point shot through traffic, finds the back of the net. Five hole on Grice. Detroit gets a power play goal at 7-26. Batted in off a big rebound by Ottinger. 6-56 left in the third. Detroit gets another goal. A point shot through traffic goes off of Dowling and in. Dallas lead cut to 4-3. Less than two minutes later, off the rush on the power play, Miro Haskinen sets up Ty Delandria driving to the net. He tips his first NHL goal. Dowling adds an empty netter with 3.36 to go. Dallas, two minutes, five seconds later, John Klingberg takes it from his end on a rush, scores short side high glove on Grice to make it a 7-3 final for Dallas. Jake Oninger, three goals against 20 saves for his first NHL win. Dallas, 29-23 shot advantage. Dallas one for three while Detroit was one for seven on the power play. Dallas's PK was strong through the game with Dallas taking more penalties in the win. On the weekend, Dallas gets one out of four available points as they face the first bump in the season in Carolina. Saturday, a 4-1 loss at Carolina. Carolina starting goalie Peter Morazic went down 247 into the game. Teammate Max McCormick ran into him in the crease. Morazic left holding his right wrist that looked to have had McCormick's skate make contact with him in the collision. Goalie James Reimer entered the game for Carolina. Morazic hadn't faced a shot. 405, a down low back pass by Carolina to the slot was Roof Glove side on Dallas goalie Anton Hudobin. The pretty pass goal gives Carolina a 1 0 lead. Dallas defenseman John Klingberg is tagged with an interference penalty when a Carolina player runs into him and gets the worst of the collision. That power play, Carolina converts on netting a goal in a scramble at the top of the crease. Carolina forward McCormick's night ends when he is hit hard into the boards. 2-0 Carolina after 1. 8.42 in the second, a 3-on-2 by Carolina ends in a power play goal as Hudobin is beat on a backhander just past his pad. At 9.39, Doby's night ends with another Carolina power play goal. 
101 left. Dallas's Rope Hints hits a post, but the score is 4-0 Carolina after two. A Dallas power play goal at 9.36 of the third ends Reimer's shutout bid as Joe Pavelski puts home a rebound. 4-1 Carolina is how the game ends. Dallas 1-for-6, Carolina 3-for-5 on the power play. 26-11 shots for Carolina. Dallas had five shots in the second and third combined the category dallas did have an advantage in 38 26 hits carolina had a lot of possession time hudobin four goals against 12 saves in the loss backup jake oninger didn't allow a goal and made 10 saves in relief rope hints returned and blake como played his first game for dallas this season in the loss Sunday, a 4-3 shootout loss at Carolina. Again, Carolina opens the scoring with a power play goal, 158 in the first, on a tip point shot through a screen on Udobin. 1-0 Carolina, who outshot Dallas 11-3 in the frame. In the second, Dallas continues to take penalties. Rope hints, however, shorthanded, had the best chance early to score. A neutral zone turnover by Carolina turns into a three-on-one for Dallas. Jamie Alexiak joins the rush and pots the rebound to tie the game. Around three and a half to go, Carolina gets a shorthanded goal from the sidewall as Udoman gets beat five-hole. 2-1 Carolina after two. The third at 7.38, three-on-two Dallas rush. Blake Como makes a cross-ice pass to Andrew Cogliano who beats Carolina's goalie James Reimer five-hole. With eight minutes left in the third, Jamie Benn, in his return to the lineup, scores on a wraparound. With just under two and a half to go, Carolina scores glove side roof on a howitzer from the sidewall on Hudobin. 3-3 and extra time is needed. Dallas defenseman Merrill Haskinen draws a Carolina penalty at 247 of overtime. Dallas can't get the power play overtime goal. Hudobin ends up making a huge backdoor save with the team's four-on-four after the Dallas power play had ended in overtime. The shootout, Carolina's first and third shooters score, while only Alexander Radulov scores for Dallas, who fall 4-3 to three in the shootout. Hudobin, three goals against, 37 saves in the shootout loss. Carolina shoots Dallas 40-29. to 29. Dallas 0-5, for 5, Carolina 1-5 for 5 on the power play. This week's analysis for Dallas... Dallas continued its success at home versus Detroit, taking that pair of games. But even in losing their starting goaltender, Carolina looked dominant against Dallas on the weekend. As an aside, the defending champs, Tampa Bay, are the favorites to finish atop the new Central. They had the identical 4-1-1 record as Dallas going into Monday night's games. Carolina, with the wins over Dallas, moved to 5-1-0, a point better than both Tampa Bay and Dallas, all teams having played six games so far. Florida holds the best record at 5-0-1 and 11 points to be first in the new Central. Columbus Blue Jackets have as many points as Florida. They have also played four more games than the other teams we just talked about and have a 4-3-3 mark. It's to say Tampa Bay, Dallas, and Carolina are where we expect them to be in the standings early. We expected Columbus to be ahead of Florida, not the other way around as it is now, but with definitely we felt these teams 
would be the five teams battling for the four playoff spots, as we said in the start of season power ranking podcast. The delay to Dallas's start of the season didn't affect them at home versus Nashville and Detroit, but they definitely realized the compete of the actual contenders within their new division is a step up. Carolina is a really good team, actually quite fun to watch, and built to play good against a Dallas team as well. The full eight games these teams play, we really feel, is going to be the battle for second or third, although Tampa is in tough and Florida has got off to a great start. I have to give perspective on the teams really Dallas is competing with for a playoff spot with in this new Central Division. As the usual divisional rivals, Nashville and Chicago, along with Detroit, are a good step back from that group of five. We really need somewhere to give an understanding where Dallas is among those five as the season goes on most. Even in only getting a point in the first two games versus Carolina, Dallas is second in goal scored. Third in goals allowed. The power play is ranked fourth at a 36.7% success rate, with the PK now ranked 14th overall as the specialty team stat that Dallas wants to improve. The 2 1 1 record was great, especially when Carolina really outplayed Dallas in the last two games. We know Dallas has a lot of key players out of the lineup, but the same could be said of Carolina. It's true. For most teams, the useless factoid in the 4-1 loss Saturday, Dallas set a new record they didn't want to set. The 11 shots is now the franchise's lowest shot total in team history. Regardless of whether the shot total was good or bad, it's still a loss. It's just a team history mark. You don't really want to set a new one with Thumbs up, the play of first round 2018 pick Ty DeLandria, 20 years old. A goal assists two points this season and has been making the most of his opportunities with a number of Dallas regulars out of the lineup. 15 minutes, 21 seconds, average time on ice in six games played, and he's been impactful. Thumbs down, the undisciplined play that allowed four Carolina power play goals in the two games on the weekend. Additional news, in the 2-1 overtime win over Detroit, Joe Pavelski collected his 800th career NHL point with an assist. Bottom pair defenseman Andre Sekera is the latest Dallas player on COVID protocol-related absence. Joel Kiviranta is still on injured reserve as well. Up next, three games this week, Tuesday at Columbus, as well as Thursday at Columbus, and then back at home Sunday versus Chicago. The Columbus Blue Jackets aren't scoring goals, but they very well could add newly traded for sniper Patrick Laine to the offense this week. They are 28th overall heading into Monday's game in goals per game. They are still a really good defensive team, and Dallas has to come with a good team effort. Sunday's game with Chicago is the first of two versus Chicago at home. So that second game will fall into next week's podcast. This is the week Dallas can put together points in the standings with some solid play. To begin looking at Nashville and Chicago, we look at the two games they played against each other earlier this past week. 
Nashville takes two at home versus Chicago, both required extra time. Let's recap those games then this week's analysis for each team and their other weekend games. Tuesday, 3-2 overtime win, Nashville over Chicago. The goalies, Pekka Rene for Nashville, Malcolm Subin in net for Chicago. Defenseman Lucas Carlson in the Chicago lineup. 239 into the first, a big rebound. Andrew Shaw chips it to Dylan Strom in the slot for a Chicago power play goal. Nashville hits two posts in the period, 1-0 Chicago after one. In the second, shorthanded Chicago hits the post. Just under five minutes in, Yakov Trenin scores on a partial break, short side upper blocker. 11:43 Chicago's Matthias Janmark creates a defensive zone steal for a breakaway and scores short side blocker 2-1 Chicago after two. Midway through the third, Nashville on a good zone entry. Nick Cousins feeds Mikhail Granlin and he scores from the slot with a blast to tie the game at two. Game needs overtime, 157 off the cycle in overtime. Roman Yossi drives to the net and tucks it forehand past Subin's pad in the paint for his first goal, the overtime game-winning goal. Rene, two goals against, 18 saves for the win. Subban, three goals against with 36 saves in the loss. Nashville clearly outshot Chicago, 39-20 was the shot total. Nashville had 17-8 shot advantage in the first and a 12-4 advantage in the third. Chicago was one for two on the power play. Seventh straight game for Chicago with a power play goal. To start the year, Nashville power play struggles continued 0 for 4. Wednesday, 2-1 shootout win, Nashville over Chicago. The goalies this time, Yutsu Saros for Nashville, Kevin Lankinen for Chicago. Chicago went with an 11 forward 7-D set. Nicholas Bodine, the additional Chicago defenseman. Forward Lucas Walmark of Chicago was put on CPRA in addition to forward Alex DeBrinket and defenseman Adam Boquist. We had talked about those in last week's podcast as being not available to play. Nashville put in defenseman Jarrett Tenorti for defenseman Mark Borowicki. Teams played a low-shot scoreless first. Less than two minutes in, Dominique Kubalik gets close chance off the cycle that Saros saves with his shoulder. Around five minutes in, Nashville with three quality chances on the power play stopped by Lankinen. There was no scoring in the second. In the third, Nashville had a 6 nothing shot advantage. 5.24 in, Calvin DeHaan can't control a bouncing puck at the Chicago blue line. Nashville's Nick Cousins grabs a loose puck, goes in on a breakaway, and scores five hole on Lankinen for his first goal in Nashville. one nothing Nashville. Philip Forsberg takes an offensive zone penalty. He gets out of the box, strips DeHaan, goes in on a breakaway that Lankinen makes a huge stop on. Exactly five minutes after Nashville scored, Chicago clean zone entry. Ryan Carpenter is able to tip home a shot that Saros makes a pad save on. Carpenter punches in the rebound past Saros to tie the game. Overtime, there were several high danger chances and a post, a shot that deflected off Matthias Ekholm's skate, then off the post. The shootout winner and lone goal scorer was Nashville's second shooter in the shootout, Matt DeShane, with a backhand roof. 
two to one shootout win for Nashville. Lankinen one goal against, forty one saves in the shootout loss. He was at that point two zero and two on the season and hadn't lost in regulation, and he was the better of the two goalies. Saros in the win had one goal against, twenty nine saves. Both teams were 0 for 4 on the power play. It ended Chicago's seven game power play goal streak to start the season. Nashville this week went 2 and 1 overall, 4 and 4, eight games played, 8.7 in the new central, 20 goals for, 24 goals against for a goal differential of minus 4. In addition to the games against Chicago, Saturday they had a 4-3 loss at Tampa Bay in the first with 7.48 left and 49 seconds left on a Nashville power play. Nashville got their first shot on goal. Just under five minutes to go, Tampa Bay goalie Andre Vaskaleski misplays the puck in his crease. He had to grab it on the goal line with his blocker hand from going in his own net. 2.05 left, Ryan Elvis puts a puck up and over Vasilevsky is pad. Elwes was pinching way down low for Nashville. Power play goal to open the scoring. Nashville takes a late penalty. 1-0 Nashville after one. Nashville kills off a penalty to then take another. At 3.33, a rebound is put back door and in for a Tampa Bay power play goal on Nashville goalie Pekka Rene. Tampa Bay with offensive zone pressure. Cal Foote, the son of former Colorado Avalanche defenseman Adam Foote, Wires a goal for Tampa Bay from the dot. Soon after, Tampa Bay has an easy zone entry that allows Victor Hedman to walk in and fire a Tampa Bay goal through traffic. Tampa Bay adds another power play goal. Steven Stamkos wires one from the dot, a bar down one-timer. Nashville defenseman Mark Borowicki and Tampa Bay forward Patrick Maroon drop the gloves late in the frame. 4-1 Tampa Bay after two. Matthew Olivier gets his first goal for Nashville, tapping a rebound going to the net. Nashville defenseman Dante Fabro and Tampa Bay's Yanni Gord fight. With about a minute and a half left, Victor Arvidsson gets open from coverage to score. 4-3 Tampa Bay win. Tampa Bay outshoot Nashville 33-26. Nashville 2-5 for five, and Tampa Bay 2-7 for seven on the power play. Pekka Rene, four goals against, 29 saves in the loss. This week's analysis for Nashville. They won both versus Chicago. That would be the positive takeaway, and especially if we don't analyze it any further. Of course, we are going to analyze it further. Nashville gets four points, but Chicago pits up two points, getting both games to extra time. In fact, the points in the standings, Nashville got four points in their three games, and teams in their division got four points against them this week. It actually left Chicago by the end of this week ahead of Nashville in points, although having played more games in the all-divisional matchup, regulation wins are so important. You see Saro's stat line with a 2.54 goals against average and a .918 save percentage is good thus far. Rennie in limited play is 3.30 goals against average and a .869 save percentage. So how long Saros can keep those good stats up with the bulk of the workload in a condensed schedule, we ask ourselves. The team is 500 with Saros' good stats right now. After the torrid start Philip Forsberg had almost on cue with Michael Granlin's first game in the lineup, he has gone quiet. No goals after scoring four a week ago. 
Coach Hines messed with the line combinations that actually were working. Goal scoring is a problem yet again for Nashville. 27th in the league in goals for a 25th overall power play with a 12.1% success rate going into Monday's games. The Preds are tied for 17th in goals allowed and sport the 31st ranked penalty kill at a 63.3 success percentage. As we talk about PK struggles, one of the things that GM David Poyle said is that getting Mark Borowiecki and Matt Benning was going to help with the penalty kill and sheltering the top three, the tripod, Yossi Ellison Ekholm, from having to play big minutes. As of right now, going into Monday night's games, the big three, Yossi, Ellis, and Ekholm, have zero penalty minutes. Borowiecki, combined with Benning and Fabro, have a total of 42 penalty minutes for the team. Borowiecki with 27. How are they killing penalties while sitting in the penalty box? The drop-off is still there. The big three are still doing the heavy lifting. Yes, Nashville found a way to win an extra time versus Chicago, and it saved their week from being really bad, but it was far from dominant for a team that is expected to be a playoff team, at least in the Nashville market and the mind of their GM, David Poyle. But they are where we expected them, right with Detroit and Chicago early on in the season. Be advised, Tampa Bay goalie Andre Vasilevsky had by all accounts an off night, and Tampa Bay all in all didn't play as good as they are capable of. The 4-3 final score was flattering to the losing team. The game was not close, as the score suggests. The team is taking a lot of penalties, Nashville is. Not a good combo with the PK struggles they have. Thumbs up to Yakov Trenin with the least average time on ice for Nashville forwards at 8 minutes and 19 seconds. He has a goal in the five games he's played. He looks good on the fourth line. We think he is being underused for a team that needs extra scoring depth. Thumbs down to Coach Hines. Again, this week. Yes, Granlin has two goals, and he all but killed the top six production of everyone else by playing the most minutes average time on ice per game of all Nashville forwards now. It is at 20 minutes, 10 seconds in his five games played. We still don't get why he gets all this ice time. Also, how about the donut for the year in goals from second line center Matt Deshane? As we look at the useless factoid, we just want to look at the stats by comparison of Kevin Fiala to Michael Granlin. Fiala has three goals. Granlin has two goals for the year so far. In comparison, Kyle Turris in Edmonton has one goal to the zero goals by Duchesne. And for the defenseman, Dante Fabro, who of course was the same draft year as Sam Gerard, but Gerard was traded away. Gerard now has nine points, including a goal. Fabro has two assists for the year. And we'll continue our running total. 
Nashville is 2-1 and one with Michael Granlin not in the lineup. They are now 2-3 and three with him in the lineup. In additional news, injury report, left-hand defenseman Lucas Biza, upper body, center Brad Richardson, upper body, forward Kelly Yarncrock, undisclosed, and forward Luke Cunnan, now with a lower body, are listed as players that are expected to miss some time. Up next, three games, Monday at Tampa Bay. Then, Thursday and Friday, back-to-back at Florida. February 11th, two weeks from now, Nashville plays Detroit. Monday at Tampa Bay, and of course, the two at Florida. And this week after that, it's two versus Tampa at home. Again, February 11th, Nashville plays Detroit. They may not win between now and the 11th. Chicago this week, 1-1-2 overall, 3-4-3-9.6 place in the new Central. 26 goals for, 31 goals against a minus 5 goal differential. In addition to the games with Nashville that we already summarized, they had a pair of games at home versus Columbus. Friday, a 2-1 loss versus Columbus. Chicago again going with 11 forward, 7-D. Two and a half in, Dylan Strom drives to the net with the puck and draws a penalty. Chicago can't score on the power play. At 8.53, Columbus opens scoring with a power play one-timer blast on Chicago goalie Kevin Lankinen as both Chicago forwards press to one blue jacket but can't clear the defensive zone. Midway through the first, Chicago's Carl Soderberg stopped by Chicago goalie Jonas Corpusello. Corpusello stops Andrew Shaw in the last minute of the first as well. 1-0 Columbus after one. Lankinen stopped Columbus Jack Rosovic in tight early in the second. Rosovic's first game since being traded by Winnipeg. After a Chicago chance for rookie defense Ian Mitchell, Columbus goes the other way and at 3.39, Eric Robinson scores high glove on Lankin in the game's game-winning goal. Chicago's Dominique Kubelik is stoned by Corpusello, but seconds later, Strom goes bar down for Chicago. Power play goal from the slot, 2-1 Columbus after two. Scoreless third Columbus with just over 11 left had a point-blank chance thwarted by Lankinen to keep it a one-goal game. Close to three minutes left, Chicago's Patrick Kane denied by Corpusella, who was stellar in backstopping Columbus to the 2-1 win. Chicago outshot Columbus 32-27. Lankinen allowed two goals with 25 saves in his first regulation loss of this season and of his NHL career. Chicago one for three, Columbus one for two on the power play. Sunday, Chicago gets a 3-1 win versus Columbus. In the first, 7:28 left, Chicago 3-on-2. Patrick Kane's pass to Philip Kurashev is on the tape of his stick for a tap-in goal. Columbus goal, 2:32 left on a rebound off Chicago goalie Kevin Lankinen, 1-1 after one. The second is scoreless. In the third, Lankinen makes a good stop off a deflection. 7-11 in Columbus goalie Elvis Merz-Lincolns plays the puck. Pius Suter from the goal line on a bad angle puts it between Merz-Lincolns' legs and it goes off his pad and in. 11-22, Lankinen makes a stop with Columbus chance one-on-one. Merz-Lincolns again misplays the puck behind his net with the forecheck from Kurashev. 
From the goal line, Patrick Kane scores to make it 3-1 Chicago. Chicago outshoots Columbus 36-33. Both teams 0-2 on the power play. That final score, 3-1 Chicago. Lankin in one goal against 33 saves for his third win. This week's analysis for Chicago, it was nice to see goalie Malcolm Subman get a start after dropping the home opener. He didn't pick up his first win yet, but he did help Chicago take Nashville to extra time. He also relieved Lankinen from having to play all the games straight through. The bigger story, of course, is goalie Kevin Lankinen, who now has a 3-1-2 record in six games played. He sports a 1.97 goals against average and a .937 save percentage. He is clearly now looking like Chicago's starter early in the season. While Chicago is ranked 22nd in the league in goals for, the power play has been exceptional. It's ranked 6th overall with a 33.3 success percentage, and they are missing some key top 6 guys, remember. The team is tied for 17th in goals allowed and 17th on the PK thus far. We haven't raised the bar much for expectations with the Chicago team. The 1-1-2 week is way better than expected. They picked up the loser points in both games with Nashville and then split the two-game set with Columbus in one game, especially Corpusello was exceptional and probably the reason why they didn't win. And they also had a list of regulars not fit to play in addition to the guys that have been out since the beginning of the year a lot of regulars. They showed up and play hard, and as of late, they are also getting goaltending that was unexpectedly better than anyone could have anticipated going into the season. Much like in the playoff bubble in Edmonton, the leadership group is leading by the example of their play on the ice. Patrick Kane is a point-per-game player, 10 points in 10 games. Duncan Keith leads the Chicago defense with five helpers. They still are the underdog each and every night, save for playing Detroit, but they are competing to get every point they possibly can. Useless factoid for Chicago this week, rookie P.S. Suter likes Sundays. He has four goals now this season, All were scored and games played on Sunday. Thumbs up to Patrick Kane. Four goals, six assists, ten points in ten games played. Simply Patrick Kane doing Patrick Kane things, regardless of who his line mates are. Thumbs down to center Carl Soderberg, and it was hard to pick anyone, really. But with five games played now after missing the season starts, he has no points and has been rather invisible thus far for a veteran player. In additional news, on the injury front, right-hand defenseman Adam Bolquist and left-winger Alex DeBrinkett, we mentioned last week, were put on the CPRA list. You can add defenseman Nicholas Bodine and two other forward regulars, Lucas Walmark and Ryan Carpenter, who missed games last week as they were added to that list of players unavailable to play. Up next, three games for Chicago Tuesday versus Carolina and again on Thursday. Then Sunday, they take on Dallas. Chicago is now going to have to raise the compete level higher with this week's games versus Carolina and Dallas. We don't expect Chicago to fare too good this upcoming week. It's a big ask to win against these considered cup contenders. We have been pleasantly surprised with our lower non-existent expectations so far we'll see how they do this week all right we're going to move on to the north division where we look at one team 
And that's because the Winnipeg Jets, of course, play in the North Division and not in the Central Division as they got all split up for this year. Winnipeg went 1-1 one and one this week overall, 5-3. and three. In eight games played, that gives them 10 points and puts them in fourth in the North Division. 29 goals for, 29 goals against, a goal differential of plus four. Winnipeg started the week playing the second of two versus Edmonton. Here's a summary. Tuesday night, a 6-4 win versus Edmonton. Oilers score off the rush. Power play goal less than two minutes into the game. Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck out of position to let it in. Just over five minutes in, Edmonton's goalie Miko Koskinen gives up a big rebound and Andrew Kopp scores a power play goal to tie the game for Winnipeg. Midway through, Edmonton point shot goes in after Winnipeg loses a puck battle down low. Two minutes, three seconds later, Edmonton wires home a power play goal from the top of the hash marks to take Take a 3-1 lead. With a little over five minutes left in the first, Matthew Perot finds a soft spot in slot coverage to score on a one-time arister. 3-2 after one for the Edmonton Oilers. After combining for five first-period goals, no scoring through the second. In the third, just over three minutes in, Paul Statsny dishes off net side to set up Nick Ehlers for a goal to tie the game. Two minutes, five seconds later, Statsny finds a loose puck net front to score himself minute 20 seconds later adam lowry gets inside position going to the net to tip home a Derek forbort pass winnipeg three goals to open a third in front five three on the scoreboard under two minutes of play edmonton six on five Connor McDavid goes high glove from the circle to make it 5-4 for the Jets. Less than a minute later, Winnipeg gets an empty net goal. Cop second for the 6-4 Winnipeg win. Shots 33-26 for Winnipeg. Edmonton 2-2, two two, Winnipeg 1-5 on the power play. Hellebuck was solid after a shaky first, picked up his fourth win. Four goals against, 22 saves in the victory. Saturday 4-1 loss versus Vancouver. 29 seconds in, Vancouver gets a loose puck and passes it to the slot. And Brock Bester deeks Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck, and it's 1-0. 2-0-3 mark Adam Lowry off a set play off a faceoff win. Mason Ambleton goes across the circle to fire high glove on Vancouver goalie Thatcher Dempko for the goal 1-1. 8-17 from behind the net. The puck bounces off the netting on the top of the net, then bounces net front and is tapped in by Vancouver on a very unique goal. 2-1 Vancouver after one. 6-58 Vancouver goal on a net front tip over Hellebuck's shoulder. Winnipeg point shot tipped by Andrew Kopp goes off the post. With under five left, Lowry shorthanded can't finish on a breakaway chance as the puck rolls off his stick. So it is 3-1 for Vancouver after two. Just under five into the third, Vancouver shot goes off the post. Vancouver ends up scoring an empty net goal with about 2-0-1. Bessers a second, by the way. Vancouver outshot Winnipeg 39-24. Winnipeg 0 for 1, Vancouver 0 for 3 on the power play. Hellebuck 3 goals against, 35 saves in the loss. Winnipeg was outshot by Vancouver 31-11 in the last two periods. This week's analysis for Winnipeg. Winnipeg 1-1 on the week at home is... Well, it's just not good enough. Four goals against in each game. The offense is going to need to score a lot of goals for this team to win games, giving up that many goals. 
Are we surprised? Not really. Winnipeg's 4-2 record is propped up by playing the lowly Ottawa Senators who have a one win in nine games played against the rest of the North Division competition they've played so far. Otherwise, they get a split with Edmonton, narrowly beat Calgary in the home opener, and then lose the one game they play versus Vancouver. That pretty much sums up the Winnipeg season. This season, maybe one game versus Ottawa, Winnipeg played a complete game. Although, they still found a way not to get Hellebuck a shutout in that one game. Most nights, they'd be lucky to say they have played 40 minutes. Most of the time, you could say it's about 30 minutes that Winnipeg's actually played to their game style. Vancouver came into Winnipeg and did play the full 60 minutes and they got rewarded and they deserve to win. This Winnipeg team is streaky. They get goals, no doubt about that. And then they're snake bit for long stretches. We haven't seen a complete game yet from this team. Maybe this team isn't capable of doing it, but if they had been doing it, there's no reason why that mark wouldn't be way better and they possibly could have actually, at this point, still been undefeated for the season. They barely lost the games they lost, but it seems like they found ways to lose. They are allowing 3.13 goals per game, 24th in the NHL going into Monday night with the reigning Vesna Trophy winner in net. There wasn't a substantial upgrade made to the top four defense. Quite honestly, Derek Forbert and Neil Pionk would be an excellent bottom pair. They are playing top four for this team. The penalty kill was 27th overall near the league bottom in that special team metric. That has to improve greatly if this team wants to win games. Not to sound melodramatic, but the Jets pretty much need to score five goals a game to win right now, and they are fourth in goals per game to explain with playing the lowly Sens why they are at a 5-3 and three mark. The power play is in the middle of the pack at 16th in the league, and they are just starting life without line a shot to open up other players' opportunities on that power play. For the first time, we can add Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp are adding offense, but until this team can string together some wins, we can see them actually missing the playoffs. The reason is Montreal is 5-1-2, and, and Toronto went 7-2-1 and one in their first 10, including a win over the Jets. I don't know how many of you remember that I always talked about getting less than three regulation losses in a 10-game stretch, and those were the elite teams that wouldn't have to worry about missing the playoffs. That magic number is when... In that 10-game stretch, you lose a fourth or fifth one in regulation. Vancouver, by the way, is 500, but they have won their last four. Again, three against Ottawa, so we've got to put some perspective on that. Calgary only has three losses, and that's the team the Jets play their next four games against. Most this week, but even going into the week after this. Truthfully, the Jets have to put together winning records versus two of either Toronto, Calgary, or Vancouver, in addition to winning their season series against Edmonton and Ottawa. Those teams, by the looks of it, are going to be on the outside looking in. But one of the other ones that we've been talking about is going to be joining them. Right now, they're looking like a team that will split with everyone except Ottawa in the season series. And that's not the type of record that's going to get you into the postseason in the North Division. 
this week's useless factoid. Winnipeg has won 10 consecutive games against Vancouver dating back to 2016 prior to the loss on Saturday. Vancouver and Winnipeg will almost play that number of games versus each other this year. This streak shows how little they do play each other when Vancouver is in the Pacific and Winnipeg is in the Central Division. Thumbs up to Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp with four goals apiece. They both could reach career-high goal totals in a shortened season. Thumbs down to coach Paul Maurice for Vili Hinola only playing one game on defense so far this year. That is a valuable, talented, still rookie defenseman that should be playing. Just look at what Colorado's doing with Bowen Byram and what they did last year with Kale McCarr as a template on how to make use of quality defensemen. Heck, Victor Soderstrom has even suited up more games now for Arizona. In additional news, Tucker Pullman can't return from injury soon enough. Still a few days of quarantine before Dubois can play his first game for Winnipeg. Nate Thompson remains on the injured reserve list. That is exactly the same as it was a week ago. And in a feel-good story, maybe not so much for the Jets, but for the player himself, Eric Comrie, the goalie, won his first game in net for the New Jersey Devils after being claimed off waivers this week. Up next, three games, Monday versus Calgary, Tuesday versus Calgary, Thursday versus Calgary. Those are all at home in Winnipeg. That is a four-game set in a row with Calgary, three of those in Winnipeg, the one final one in Calgary, so not even a two-and-two series. This is going to be a vital four games to their season because by the time they're done with it, they'll have played five games versus Calgary and they need to walk away with more points against a team like Calgary to finish ahead of them in the standing. There are five teams for four playoff spots and Winnipeg has to start playing like they don't want to be the odd team out. Want to thank you again for listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week. Want to thank Winnipeg House Electronic Group Map for the show intro, break return, and extra music with their song Acid Trash. You can download and listen to their music on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you stream your favorite music from. Of course, you can find our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're streaming your podcasts from. It should be there. Now, with the number of games that have been coming up in the week, again, this has come out on Tuesday. This was done up until the games played on Sunday night. The hope is that it would be up Monday afternoon. However, the games, two teams would be playing on Monday night and you'll be listening to it after that. Those will be included in the podcast next week as we do a look at the week starting Monday going through Sunday as we did last year. Don't really have a closing catchphrase yet. I might as well just say at every podcast that I haven't come up with it yet. That seems to be the catchphrase. Oh, to be determined later. I will say that... The series that I think will be the games of the week are going to be both involving Colorado. And that's they've got two games earlier in the week against Minnesota. And then on the weekend, they've got a two game set against St. Louis. All three of those 
Central Division teams now playing in the West Division, along with Vegas, are the teams expected, well, we expect, to be the top four teams playoff bound. So those are two key game sets. It's interesting because I was thinking, in covering just the Winnipeg team, it's hardly for me to expect that I would be picking a game of the week involving the other Canadian teams. It almost seems like the other divisions, the New Central and the West, because there are more teams to cover once the original teams get back together in the Central Division for the 2021-22 season begins, that I'm actually getting to see more games. And part of that, I will say, is the teams that got put into that new Central Division, whether that be Carolina, Tampa Bay, or Florida, it's really great to watch them because they've been over on the Eastern Conference side for quite some time now, and I only saw them in very limited amounts to actually get to see them now and how good those teams really are uh, makes for the new central to be really exciting and of course the west division has been uh, exciting as well so far as far as the north division just watching the jets play so that we have a good comparative for when the band gets all back together next year well that's a little harder because I can't honestly say that I'm watching the other Canadian teams playing against each other. So it's going to be interesting as far as figuring out what to do on a power ranking time just based on watching how the Jets did against these North Division teams they have to play this one year. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy the hockey this week. There are a ton of games. We'll be back with you. Tuesday at the latest, hopefully Monday afternoon, Central Division Hockey this week.